Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, the podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of February 20th, 2020, including Halo Outpost Discovery will not be returning in 2020, Control is apparently getting a sequel or just some more content, more rumors surface regarding the Modern Warfare Battle Royale mode, and more. Welcome to the first episode of Xbox On in a post-Sonic movie world, where we now know that, yes, the Sonic movie is not only the greatest video game-related movie of all time, but also the greatest movie of all time. And frankly, if you haven't seen it, you're just a sorry sack of shit, and you need to go do yourself a favor and go watch what critics are calling Jesse's favorite movie of the decade. Uh, So go ahead and do yourself that favor. Otherwise, let's jump into some comments, questions, concerns regarding last week's episode and just in general, as always, posted by you, the royal audience out there that somehow is willing to blow through their their personal time to comment on the show. Anyway, our first comment this week comes from none other than Mr. Dead Captain James himself, referring back to my kind of shitting on on Anthem in in the news that EA and uh, Bioware were going to kind of fix Anthem, so to speak. He says, the reason why EA and BioWare are fixing Anthem is that they need the goodwill at this point. If they walk away and abandon it after their last two games flopped, it would kill BioWare. I personally love Anthem and have over 400 hours between Xbox and PC, and I cannot wait for the overhaul. Now, first of all, good for you. I'm glad that you enjoyed Anthem. I'm glad that there are people out there who have enjoyed Anthem and who are are finding that the game, you know, isn't all as bad as a lot of critics have made it out to be. A lot of YouTubers have made it out to be. I'm sure to a large extent, the kind of the the, the conversation surrounding Anthem and the, the corner it's been painting into is a lot of, you know, it's a lot of sensationalism and things like that. So, of course, I'm glad to see that there are people out there enjoying it and glad to see that you have enjoyed it. 400 hours is nothing to sneeze at. I don't know if I put 400 hours into any game, so that's pretty impressive right there. But yeah, I do like this point that EA might just, might just be willing to pour in the time and and to kind of keep Bioware distracted from future projects just because the goodwill move. I mean, we, we've seen this kind of be the case with Star Wars Battlefront 2. Um, they've allowed DICE to just kind of shelve a lot of other things they're working on to just really get things right with Star Wars Battlefront 2, especially after all the negative press they got surrounding that game at, at its launch. Um, and then to see how much they've really turned things around for that game, it'd be cool if they could kind of have a similar story regarding Anthem. The, the difference being, though, that I think audiences are more interested or were more interested in turning the ship around for Battlefront 2 than they are for Anthem. I think I think people who played Battlefront 2 at launch saw that, you know, there's a solid game underneath this. It was a sequel to a game that we already knew had a solid foundation. It was really easy to wrap your mind around what Star Wars Battlefront was, regardless of whether or not you liked it. Whereas Anthem, and take this from the perspective of someone who's never played the game before, but Anthem is this game that kind of lacks an identity altogether. So it's great in in the vague sense that they're, 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 quote, fixing the game. But, you know, for a lot of people, it's 
Anthem isn't the follow-up to some game you've played before. It's its own thing. And the fact that they weren't able to convey what this game was the first time around and that they need to go back to the drawing board and really fix things makes it a lot harder for me to think that people are going to be willing to give this game a second chance, much in the way that people were willing to give Battlefront 2 a second chance. Not only that, but Anthem doesn't hold with it a really strong IP like Star Wars, where there's just like this massive history and fan base that's willing to give it another try. It's, you know, Star Wars fans, if, you know, there are a lot of things, but they're definitely, uh, they're definitely used to taking a beating and used to going back to the same source of abuse time and time again. So I, I just don't know that people are willing to do that with Anthem. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope that they turn this game around and everyone who ever bought the game comes back and loves it and that it's a great success story because I want Bioware to do well. Bioware is a studio I respect a great deal. I don't really give a fuck about whether or not EA makes money off of it, but I want Bioware to thrive and to be able to make great games and to have a great perception, to, to have a great kind of uh, perception and just overall for this to be a success story. But I just don't know that that's going to happen. But nonetheless, thank you for your write-in. Our next comment comes from none other than the man who goes by Tim Treadless, who says, what are your thoughts on the possibility of Modern Warfare having a new Battle Royale mode? Well, Tim Treadless, just hold your fucking horses. We're going to get to that in today's news so don't blow your wad next comments from my brother who says i totally get what you were saying about the jungle setting in shadow of the tomb raider and i was of course referring to how i didn't like this setting it felt very like a first game kind of setting rather than like the third arc of the story the final arc kind of thing um that uh, for it may be arbitrary but the setting really killed this this vibe that shadow of the tomb raider was kind of the conclusion of this new reboot trilogy or if it, if it was even intended to be a trilogy it just didn't feel like uh the correct setting for the third game but he continues by saying a game setting is important and if you don't like it it can be what keeps you from getting sucked into the experience i'll still never forgive halo wars 2 for not having a snowy map or a level yeah there's a good example right there the halo wars 2 kind of lacked some biodiversity uh when compared to halo wars 1 and i mean i guess you know in his in his case wanting that snowy map is something that kind of killed the vibe for Halo Wars 2, in some sense at least. Uh, but yeah, I think that's, I guess this isn't really iterating too much on what I said, but it does kind of echo what I was saying just to, to re reiterate um, Shadow of the Tomb Raider. I don't know, it just felt like the first game was kind of like this island, somewhat jungly setting, which feels like a very first game kind of setting. The second game was very like snowy and arctic and mountainous, which felt very fitting for a second game. So to me, the third game would be more setting to have, more fitting rather, to have in some perhaps a desert like setting or perhaps a just I don't I don't know but just maybe maybe I'm riffing too much on the format of the Uncharted series since that's kind of verbatim what the Uncharted games go to or maybe I'm just kind of maybe I just have this like weird arbitrary pattern in my head based on like what video games have taught me what platformers teach you which is like the first level is like the green level the second level is like the underwater level then the ice level then the fire level is the last level or something like that but yeah, I just I don't think the setting of Tomb Raider or Shadow of the Tomb Raider was very fitting for the kind of the kind of third arc. But nonetheless, solid game overall. And then our final comment this week comes from uh, Lethal Migraine, who comments again. And this time he says, "Whatever happened to Ubisoft's pirate game, Skull and Bones?" Well, Lethal Migraine, I I we don't have official word. I don't have any insight. I don't you know I'm I'm nobody. I don't have connections to this industry. But if I were a betting man, I'd say that <laughs> Skull and Bones has silently been canceled. That game hasn't shown up at E3 for like two years now, and it never looked that good to begin with, in my personal opinion. It looks kind of like the the pirate parts of uh, Assassin's Creed 4 and a bunch of other stuff that was really uninteresting to me. It came out around the time where Sea of Thieves came out. I think Sea of Thieves 
didn't set the world on fire the way some people may have thought it would. And despite it finding success in its own kind of way. Uh, and I just don't think that Ubisoft sees this game as being as lucrative and, and making as big an impact as they, as they might have hoped. And I just don't, I assume that there's some kind of development hell on this project that they were really struggling to find the gameplay loop or really pull it all together. It didn't look like that, like technically impressive of a game. So I can't imagine they're having a hard time making it work, but maybe they just, maybe they just got pretty far along development and, and they conceded and said, Hey guys, you know what? This game is just not a lot of fun. I don't really, we don't really want to put out a product. That's not fun. You know, that, that can hurt your brand a lot. If you're just putting out a game, just because you put some dev time into it. So I have no idea, but I think that game's canceled. If we don't see it this year at E3, then I don't really know what to say because now we're moving into the next generation. This game is a few years out. I mean, this game was first announced like what, four or five years ago. It is not the kind of game that takes that long to make. So I have no idea. Skull and Bones probably canceled. Don't, don't quote me on it, but also who cares? Sorry if you're looking forward to it. And that's it for this week's comments, shoutouts, whatever. Remember, for next week, for future episodes, don't be shy, reply. And then from there, we're going to go into what I've been playing, of course. But before we get into what I've been playing, let me tell you what I've been eating. And oh, this week, do I have something special to share with you. This week, I've been on a kick, uh, a restaurant chain you may be familiar with, a restaurant chain that's graced those of us in the United States and, and abroad as they operate in many countries, international and uh They've been around since 1965, began in Manhattan as kind of a, a like a little bar place for young adults to kind of hang out for guys to meet girls, girls to meet guys, that kind of thing. Of course, this is the 1960s where you could only meet the opposite sex, so don't even think about any kind of any other computation of, of that those two genders. But yeah, absolutely. This is a this is a restaurant that just blossomed from this kind of young adults bar to kind of offering amazing appetizers and then eventually franchising, expanding out throughout the US and becoming the family eating eatery establishment that we all know and love today. And I'm sorry for just holding back, but guys, I'm of course talking about TGI Fridays. This is a beautiful restaurant that holds a very special place in my heart. And this week, it just, I got the itch to go to Fridays and uh, it, it didn't leave me for days. It was just gnawing at me and I had to have it. So a few nights ago, I went with my girlfriend. We had the most amazing night ever. Joined the rewards club. I got some rewards points. I redeemed a free appetizer. It was certainly magical and I haven't been able to get off my mind ever since. In fact, I've had TGI Fridays every night for the past four days in some capacity. I've been binging on the frozen food selection, the wonderful frozen food selection they offer in the grocery store. Such an incredible uh, restaurant. I'm a very big fan of it. And you know, they say that these kind of fat, casual family sit-down restaurants or uh, these chain sit-down casual family restaurants are really dying uh, as millennials get older and start families. These are the kinds of restaurants that aren't really surviving from our parents' generation. But I'm a millennial and I'm sure as hell going to do my part to keep TGI Fridays alive and well. And I guess what I'm what I'm here to say is I'm here to I'm here to send the call out to you, the listener. Are you here to help us keep TGI Fridays alive? I sure hope you will because those ribs are fantastic. Those potato skins, fantastic. Those juicy, fruity, sweet cocktails, fantastic. And uh, you may have seen on Twitter this week, I put out a poll. I asked, should I begin a second podcast all about TGI Fridays? And I had a an overwhelming positive reaction. I think two of you said yes. And so expect that in the coming weeks. But thank you so much for letting me rant about TGI Fridays. We will get back to video games, but that's just, but what's, that's just what's been on my heart and on my mind recently. And I really appreciate 
you taking the time to listen to what is now not only the number one, the world's number one Xbox podcast, but also the world's number one podcast about the greatest restaurant chain to ever grace the planet Earth. Okay, let's get into what I've been playing. I don't even know what my excuse is this week. I haven't been too busy. I guess I've just been really distracted by the Sonic movie and TGI Fridays and all that good stuff. So I've been mostly just playing a little bit of multiplayer, just some kind of uh, free time gaming stuff, not really getting into any like single player, new narrative driven game. Uh, But I did play a lot of Halo 4. I love Halo 4. It's a great multiplayer game. It's a very criminally underrated multiplayer game. You can say it's not Halo, but you'd just be a fucking idiot because the box says Halo. So yes, it's absolutely a Halo game. And yeah, I just, I really enjoy that multiplayer. And it's, it's obviously the biggest departure from traditional Halo multiplayer in the franchise. And so I love that, especially now that we have Master Chief Collection and Halo 5 and all these, all the Halo games at our fingertips on the latest Xbox hardware. I love being able to just play Halo 5, which is, in my opinion, the definitive Halo multiplayer experience, but then also just be able to like slip into Halo 4 or 3 or whatever at any given point and have it just kind of feel as modern as ever because the Master Chief Collection makes it that way. Uh, and yeah, it's really awesome to just jump into Halo 4 and have it have an online community there ready to play at any point. Um, such a great game, and I'm glad it isn't completely like lost to time for it's kind of just odd kind of being the odd child of the family uh, with its just weird uh, departure from typical Halo multiplayer but yeah Halo 4 for sure I also got into the bleeding edge beta that took place this week so if you've been if you've been interested in Ninja Theory's new uh, melee based combat weird team based combat game um, I I definitely played a little bit of that more so out of obligation and just curiosity but I gotta be honest with you I was not crazy about that game at all it controls just fine um, the gameplay loop, I see, I see kind of what the fun of it is. And I totally see some people getting really into this game and it being kind of a success for some people. But overall, I do not see this game really taking off. I don't, I think this is kind of them chasing their kind of that kind of overwatch crowd. I think it's too little too late. I don't think it's going to happen. And I personally don't find it fun. But then again, these, uh, these kinds of like hero shooter kind of hero multiplayer games it's not really my cup of tea so I don't think this game was ever going to be for me I will say one thing that is just kind of like objectively true if you are a fan of just good characters or good art design or anything every character like shout out to Ninja Theory I don't mean to shit on them too much but like absolutely every character in Bleeding Edge is atrocious it's like it's just like actually visually painful to stare at the characters in this game they're all equally awful I hate every one of them so just enjoy a bunch of awful characters they are they are all unique and interesting to play with and I do appreciate that which is the most important aspect that you know the gameplay is varied and fun but yeah I kind of hate every single character in the game I sucked at the game is a lot of like you know working together as a team which I can't do because I was playing solo and then really mastering the characters you're going to play with and and really using their unique abilities to the benefit of the team. Um, but just not my game. I re- it really feels like uh, it's too little too late. I feel like this genre kind of came and went a little bit already or that people are pretty tied in with their ecosystem. But you know what? If you ever told me that if you had shown me Apex Legends a year before it came out, I would have told you that wasn't going to happen. And then it totally took off. So what the fuck do I know? Here's hoping. I like Ninja Theory. I want to see them do well. But I just don't think Bleeding Edge is all that. Uh, of course, the game comes out in a more official capacity next month. So we'll we'll see. But I, again, the only thing that could really save that game is is Game Pass. And uh, even then, I'm not too sure that's going to take off. Other than that, I've been having some withdrawal from Fantasy Star Online 2. I've really been wanting to play more of that. But of course, it was a weekend closed beta last week and then it was over. And, and now we're just here waiting for our next open beta or waiting for official release of the game. It was a lot of fun and I'm, I want to get back into that. But that's about it for what I've been playing this week. I um, definitely appreciate letting me 
go through that with you guys. And now that we're about 15 minutes into the show, let's talk about some actual news. Let's stop talking about me and start talking about a bunch of news stories. Yay! All right, so our first story this week, and this one kind of sucks a little bit, but I don't think it's all doom and gloom, and it's that head of consumer products over at 343 Industries, John Friend, took to Twitter this week to break the news that Halo Outpost Discovery will not be making a return in 2020. Outpost Discovery is a Halo-centric traveling attraction that debuted in 2019, which features pop-up Halo experiences, meet and greets with people associated with the Halo franchise, Halo land tournaments, and much more. The glorified Halo Fan Fest was met with some impressive attendance, but fans had mixed reactions to the overall event, citing crazy long time wait times for certain attractions and poorly coordinated events, including uh, meet and greets with Steve Downs and Jen Taylor, the voices of Master Chief and Cortana, respectively. The reason for the event not taking place in 2020 seems to be mostly attributed to the launch of Halo Infinite, which will be taking up the bulk of the studio's precious time and attention this year, pretty understandably so. The last year before a game comes up is really the all-hands-on-deck kind of moment. Uh, however, Friend does note that the team is quote excited to do it again and quote leaving hope that outpost discovery may return in 2021 and so this is kind of a bit of a bummer because i really enjoyed outpost discovery so very much you may remember in the earlier episodes of the show uh last summer i, I went to the first city they did it in last last year in orlando and i had a blast yes the wait times uh were kind of ridiculous i think the event should have gone on it should have had longer hours uh, each day of the event and while I didn't try to meet Steve Downs and Jen Taylor I definitely saw a lot of frustration there and then checking Twitter and and, and uh, Reddit and all that saw a lot of people really having some frustration regarding that meet and greet and how poorly it was kind of held and coordinated and a lot of people weren't able to uh, get their poster signings and, and meet and greets in um, so that was that was a little bit of a, a ball drop but overall I think for a first attempt 343 did a fantastic job with this event I thought most of the attraction were phenomenal uh some of them were kind of duds but for the most part i think it was awesome it was really cool to hold a, an entire kind of it's kind of like doing you know a con a, a convention but instead of it just being about like it being in the more standard convention setup with like panels and cosplaying and things like that it was just it, they kind of spun it on their head on that idea on its head and kind of married it with something that I love, which is themed attractions or theme parks or things like that, and kind of brought those two things, the conventions and the themed attractions together into one event. And I think they did a fantastic job, and I'd be really excited to do it again. Um, you know, if it's going to return to Orlando whenever it comes back, or hopefully it comes back, I'll absolutely be there again. I thought it was fantastic, and they can only do better from here. I, I'm fairly confident if they do it again that they'll they'll – address many of the issues that they had the first time around but yeah this doesn't totally surprise me that's not coming back this year halo infinite is really if anything what i've been surprised at is how thin 343 seems to spread themselves you know you know not just with the core development of halo 5 but if you look at the or or halo infinite rather but if you look at the past few years it's like aside from halo infinite they've been working so much on master chief collection and bringing it to pc and halo um i mean all the books and extended universe kind of stuff and uh outpost discovery and just all these things that 343 works on and of course like the esports league um and it's just it's just really a lot that they work on and and i obviously these are different teams from within 343 but it's one of those things where it's like i think they could benefit a lot from just kind of being like all right guys let's let's just lay low and stay quiet for a year or two and just really focus on making infinite the best game it can be and really do all hands on deck and just just for this kind of final push before the game comes out which is like i was saying earlier it's kind of typical for that to happen those last like 
10 to 12 months before a game comes out is kind of when a game goes from being like this jumbled mess of like various disciplines to like coming together in a cohesive manner and becoming an actual video game. Um, So I I imagine it's a pretty stressful environment over there at 343 right now as they as they head into these final months of development uh, before before we get our hands on what is inevitably inevitably going to be the greatest video game of all time, Halo Infinite. So um, if it doesn't come back in 2021, then yeah, I'd say Outpost Discovery is dead. But, you know, he seemed pretty like enthusiastic about it and pretty certain that it would come back in the future. So I don't really think that this is like all doom and gloom. The event didn't do well and it's not coming back. I think this is pretty much a it did well, but we, we really need to take a year off. The only thing I think that could make maybe make this not happen is if Halo Infinite comes out this year. If Halo Infinite comes out this year and totally bombs, then I could totally see them being like, hey, maybe we shouldn't do Outpost Discovery this year for 2021. Maybe we should just lay low for a while. But then again, if Halo Infinite bombs critically, then I mean, we've got a much bigger problem on our hands because Halo cannot afford that negative fanfare right now, especially after Halo 5. Even though I think it's uh, Halo 5 is fantastic, it's just one of those things where like Halo fans are kind of becoming borderline Star Wars fans at the moment and you just got to satiate those little entitled bastards that want to that want to own the fandom so absolutely probably the only scenario in which Outpost Discovery doesn't come back but I'm fairly confident after the launch of Halo Infinite we'll see them kind of reiterate especially if Halo Infinite does the opposite thing and and kind of lights the world on fire and and reignites people's love for the franchise in a way that we haven't seen in a long time oh I think uh, Outpost Discovery will definitely be back it'll be bigger than it was last time it will hit more cities than it did last time and they'll probably really expand the event itself which would be exciting to see Uh, but for 2020 no outpost discovery all right so our next story here coming directly from ign remedy entertainment has hinted at the possibility of more of more projects set in the world of control saying that this is just the start of the work in the in the weird wild setting speaking to ign at dice 2020 remedy communications director thomas pua addressed whether the development team wanted to continue creating projects set in the world of control now that the game is released he says quote a lot of our recent work was about getting remedy into a position where they can create control and we can hopefully keep making more controls so yeah absolutely and especially with the love we're getting there are so many things we know we can we can do and explore so this is just the start end quote the game's executive producer jua vanyo sorry these are european names he continued with there's no one in the current control team who wants out they're all actually people who want in so we have a positive problem this doesn't necessarily mean remedy is thinking about control 2 but it certainly seems to point to the studio thinking beyond the two paid expansions coming this year that's perhaps backed up by remedy's latest financial report which refers to control as quote a brand a new game brand for the company seemingly pointing to ideas beyond the first game the first two announced uh, expansions the foundation will be released on march 26 and pua says work is mostly done on that the second awe which appears to link in some ways around the the studio's games uh, the studio's game alan wake is scheduled for a mid 2020 release pua says work on that has just begun vanyo says both of the, of the expansions will take place in the main in the game's weird brutalist setting the oldest house he says quote the oldest house might be infinite we don't know so it's definitely a good place to take any story end quote with the success of Control, a lot of interesting opportunities have opened up, explains Pua, and there's no shortage of ideas at Remedy either. 
It's been a very, very interesting past six months. The future is really exciting right now, and all the momentum for controls generated is making us not want to waste that. So it sounds like, obviously, we're definitely getting some more control. And the thing I find most odd about that is control totally did not sell well at all, but also... Remini really bragged about how control about how control was really cost effective. It was a really affordable game and that they were trying to really they're trying to really figure out how to make these kind of AAA experiences for like half the budget of what games these days are being made for. And so excuse me, I don't remember exact numbers, but I do know that control was made for like a fraction of what the game appears to be made for and what most games are made for these days. So they did pretty well um, in terms of just keeping costs down. So it is quite possible that control sold or made enough of a profit despite not selling extremely well, just because costs were low. And the game is a critical darling it won IGN's game of the year award it won many other outlets game of the year award I still feel like shit because I haven't played it yet and I really want to and it's just overall people who have played it have been very very high on it so maybe it's one of those things where word of mouth has gotten it around to the point where you know if there is a sequel people will suddenly arbitrarily start caring about it more here's hoping um, but it is hard to hard to tell if it's a good idea to make more control but we don't know if this is alluding to a sequel or more DLC I think making more DLC seems like something of a mistake I don't have the numbers. I'm not seeing how well the current DLC is, is selling for, but it's like at this point, it's like, guys, get to work on your next project. Do not continue making DLC for a game that hasn't sold that well. I, I just don't think that's a good use of your resources, but nonetheless, I mean, they would they would know what's best for them better than I would, but I just, I find that a little baffling, especially considering that these guys have made games that have been bigger commercial hits like Max Payne uh, in the past, but, you know, at the same time, they're also working on that Crossfire X campaign right now and that's something that's probably going to be a little more of a lucrative project so perhaps that is kind of the project they're doing right now to get funding for the studio and then control is kind of more like what they actually want to be doing and it's more their passion project it's more their creative project so who knows for sure but it seems like i don't know control is getting more content whether it be in the form of dlc or a sequel and i don't know i just i never saw this coming here's hoping that this uh this ends up being a good decision for them because i really hate for remedy to kind of back themselves in a corner and then get in some financial trouble for dedicating too much of their time to a franchise that just isn't making them money um, aside from that i really want to see microsoft buy the studio it seems like sony's definitely not going to do it now and i want microsoft to jump in and, and, and swoop these guys up so that they can stay alive and make crazy games but at the same time, it seems like they're trying to make these smaller games that just aren't making too much money. So I don't know that they're really a desirable studio for any first for any major company, whether it be a Sony or Microsoft at this point in time. Uh, but nonetheless, um, this makes me want to play Control even more. And if you haven't already played it, go ahead and do so because it sounds like it's a uh, this franchise is at least here to stay. So keeping with the news of Remedy, also coming directly from IGN, according to their most uh, recent financial report. The uh, Remedy Entertainment are working on several projects at varying stages of completion that aren't control. One of them is, of course, as I just mentioned above, uh, Crossfire X, the, the campaign portion to that, which is a sequel to the 2007 multiplayer shooter from Smilegate, uh, who is developing the multiplayer aspect for the new game. Remedy's other two projects, though, are shrouded in a little bit more uh, secrecy as they are still technically in the pre-production phase. One is yet to be announced in any formal capacity, but it's proceeding well and has a 20-person team working on it. The other project, which launched in 2018, is known only as the Vanguard, the team working on it. No, they're known as the Vanguard. Uh, they have a smaller team, about 15 people 
big. According to Remedy, they operate with the mentality and stability of a larger company, despite being just a team of 15. Uh, the Vanguard team is focused on creating a long-lasting service-based multiplayer game combined with selected Remedy features. Uh, what exactly those features are remains unknown, but the game is currently running on a playable internal build, according to Remedy, and they remain focused on creating long-lasting games and engaging worlds. So this is weird because... Obviously, while the the second the other team is working on probably something more traditional for the studio, whether it be that additional uh, control content or another like single player third person narrative driven game like most of their games, this Vanguard team seems to be trying to kind of get outside the traditional Remedy wheelhouse and, and do something different, which is tricky. Uh, to say the least, especially these days where everyone wants on board this battle royale train, this hero shooter train, where everyone wants to make their lasting multiplayer game that just prints money for them and it's it's 90 percent or 90 plus percent are going to fail at this and and only the few will win because there's just not enough time for players to devote themselves to all these games and only the best are really going to stand out so i think this is a really risky move and i don't like the sound of it but i don't know i mean they say quote a long lasting service-based multiplayer game combined with the selected remedy features now i i like the idea of like throwing remedy stuff into a multiplayer game because you know, you look at like an Alan Wake, a Quantum Break, Control, where, you know, you have these kind of weird manipulative powers, whether it be like time control or being able to like use telepathy to like move objects and crash shit. Um, and they make really cool games with really cool kinetic features, but I don't know that that necessarily like conveys or translates to making a service-based multiplayer game. And I don't know, this is, this is a scary thought to me. I don't want Remedy to to be one of those companies that really shoots themselves in the foot by trying to chase the dollar and ends up, ends up getting themselves in some deep financial shit. Uh, but nonetheless, it looks like they're working on some kind of multiplayer game. They're getting their feet in the wet in a lot of different fields right now. You know, they're making a campaign to a first person shooter. They're making <laughs> some kind of online, like long lasting service based multiplayer game. They're making more content to control a game that just didn't sell very well. And then apparently they're working on something else, which is kind of just who knows right at this moment. But this is a, these are a lot of ballsy moves and Remy's going to be, like I said, Remy's going to be in a lot of trouble. At least one of these things doesn't pay off very well. So here's hoping I wish the best for Remy. They're a studio I love very, very much and I wish nothing but the best for, but I think they're kind of heading in some uh, deep waters with this one. So we'll have to see as that continues to unfold, but here's hoping. Uh, our next story is is about a patent that Microsoft recently filed for one of their upcoming pieces of hardware, the Surface Neo. So back in October, Microsoft revealed their upcoming dual screen Surface computing device called the Surface Neo. It was introduced to the public not only as a new form factor for personal computers, but also to introduce Windows 10X, a lightweight, portable version of Windows that is intended to reshape Microsoft's ubiquitous operating system. While Project xCloud no doubt will play a role in all of Microsoft's hardware going forward, a new patent reveals some potential solutions to playing console games on a large dual-screen slab computer. According to the patent filed via Patent Scope, Microsoft is exploring a potential peripheral that would snap onto the lower uh, the lower of the two of the device's two screens. Sorry, adding some form of tactile buttons for a more plausible and conventional gaming setup on the Surface Neo, similar to the already uh, shown off keyboard attachment. 
This add-on would be slim and easily transportable and would offer a nice solution to a device that otherwise would be nightmarish to game on. While the patent doesn't confirm anything, it is hard to think that Microsoft isn't already thinking up solutions to xCloud gaming on a multitude of devices, especially ones made by Microsoft themselves. So for those of you who haven't seen the Surface Neo already, um, it's this new um, computer Microsoft's making, but it's so... It's um it's like a clamshell similar to like a laptop, right? Um, but when you unfold it, rather than it being a screen on the top half of the uh, clamshell and a traditional keyboard and track pack on the lower half, like uh, like like most uh, laptops, it's actually just two screens. Um, and they come and they and they're making this uh, keyboard peripheral that just it's like a very very thin keyboard, um, kind of like the keyboard attachment for the Surface Pros if you've seen those. And you just basically put it on top of the bottom screen, and then it snaps on magnetically. And then all of a sudden you have a keyboard if you want to have a more tactile traditional keyboard setup, or you can snap it off and have two screens. And Windows 10X, which is the operating system, is this kind of new in between, kind of like their iPad OS or their Chrome OS kind of competitor, but it's full Windows 10. So it's a very capable and powerful operating system, but it's just made for more like touch-based and dual-screen devices. So this is just to kind of give you a visual of what this device looks like. Now, obviously, this is a device like everything Microsoft makes where you're going to be playing xCloud games. Um, so if you can imagine like two iPad minis glued together to make one clamshell device, that would be a pretty awful device for gaming on, especially if you're going to use the touchscreen setup. So basically what this peripheral or what this patent suggests is that basically there'd be like these kind of, I'm picturing it like more like a 3DS kind of layout where you have like um, analog nubs and then like just buttons, kind of like smaller buttons, like a 3DS or like a switch, like face buttons. And then you could just like snap it on magnetically to the bottom screen and then play games using the top screen and then just kind of have a more traditional uh, gaming setup. But I mean, that's still not going to solve for the fact that this is kind of a large device, so it's not going to feel great in the hand for extended hours. However, kids these days love to play fucking Minecraft on their iPad Pros, so apparently holding a big slab of screen and playing games on it doesn't seem to set people back these days, so what's to say this couldn't work? Um, But this is just interesting because xCloud's definitely going to take off, I think, uh, but on some devices more than others, and this is one of those devices where Microsoft's going to have some real trouble getting xCloud to really be enticing and viable. But I re- what I really love about xCloud is it kind of, especially as it continues to evolve and get better, it kind of makes that that whole like power PC argument mood because it's like it doesn't really matter what you're putting into your PC because the more powerful that game streaming becomes and the more uh, fluid it becomes, the less it's going to matter what you're putting into your PC because all you got to do is just stream a game and on Microsoft's end, they're just going to give you these super high specs anyway. So who gives a shit if your computer's $500 or $3,000 because all you got to do is stream your games. And this is the perfect kind of device for that future because you just think about it and it's like, how nice is it going to be to just kind of pull out this dual screen computing device that's perfect for Word, it's perfect for uh, web browsing and media consumption, you know, watching Netflix and YouTube. But yeah, obviously, you know, maybe this is a perfect device for the college student, but when it comes time to try and play a video game, it's not going to be a great device. But if you can just snap on this little controller peripheral or connect an Xbox controller to the damn thing wirelessly, then all of a sudden it's a great way to play Xbox games too. And I, I just love that idea of making gaming so accessible 
that it doesn't really matter how much your your device costs. You just have it everywhere. And of course, that's the intent of xCloud is putting it everywhere and making it a low barrier to entry. But this is one of those devices where it's like there's a lot there's just a there's a lot of ways that gaming could be less than enticing on, on a device like this. So it will be interesting to see as Microsoft continues to make new and innovative types of hardware, as we've seen them be doing for years now, especially with their Surface lineup. It'll be interesting to see how they kind of make gaming viable on that kind of new form factor because gaming is is a very finicky thing you just got to have everything just so for gaming to be good i mean project x cloud barely works as it is with the the game clip that connects a like a standard smartphone to an xbox controller it kind of just seems like a like a quick fix kind of solution um but it works i mean i played most of shadow of the tomb raider that way and i thought it was totally fine uh, but it is inelegant to an extent and there is a lot of exploration we had to do in this field to figure out how are we going to make... It's so cool that we can stream games no problem to all these devices, but how are we going to make it feel right when it comes to controlling the game? And I think that's a huge area of exploration we had to kind of we had to solve for, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how Microsoft gets there. Um, but let's jump into our next story, which is uh, regarding Disney and video games. So Disney's relationship to the video game industry has been something of a tortured one. However, these days, the massive entertainment name seems to be totally content with just licensing out their properties to the highest bidder and making oodles of cash from royalties and such. Sean Shoptaw, a senior VP of Games and Interactive Experiences at Disney, spoke up during Dice Summit 2020 in Vegas saying, quote, I'm here for one specific reason, to empower you to do really unique things with our catalog. Uh, he says that we want to tap into the power of creatives across the industry, end quote. Essentially, Shopta is inviting more devs to come out and make games, uh, gaming experiences in the vein of Insomniac Spider-Man and Respawn Entertainment's Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Shopta also mentions that the acquisition of 20th Century Fox allows them even more universes and IP to begin exploring in gaming. And this seems like Disney is more interested in getting their IP all over the games industry while not wanting to make games themselves, which is vastly different approach-wise to how they handled uh, most of their other divisions of entertainment. Rather than dipping their toes back into self-publishing and developing, it seems that Disney is doubling down on licensing out their IP when it comes to gaming as well as cheap-ass merchandise. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know. Disney's a weird one because I, I have my, my eyes so heavily focused on Disney as a company because as a massive theme park fan, I follow a lot of Disney because I love them for other non-gaming related reasons. But obviously, Disney has always been such a household name and more and more these days Disney can't stay out of the media because they can't stop buying everything at every corner um so I I'm I'm never really too sure like to what extent the gaming industry or like the average gamer so to speak knows about Disney because they have had a pretty rich and interesting history in gaming but it's just it's been a weird one and they just kind of always jump in and out of it so for those who don't know I mean for the last 20 years or so, Disney's really tried to be in, in gaming and, until pretty recently. Uh, they had LBV, like Buena Vista, it was like their publishing division, and they they had internal studios. They bought Avalanche Software, the team that eventually made uh, Disney Infinity. They originally made like Tack and the Power of Juju, if you remember those games, but they eventually were shuttered and then bought, bought, resurrected by WB shortly afterwards. But the point being that Disney, I, I don't know, at some point in 2016, Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, basically just said, hey, you know, developing games 
game, owning a development studio, publishing our own games, all this shit is really expensive. And even though we're making good money in gaming, we're making good money. At the time, it was Disney Infinity was their big push. He was basically like, we could just make more money by shuttering all this shit and not having to to publish and to develop and all that crap and then just letting people throw shit tons of money at us to use our properties and make their own games and that's kind of what disney's been doing we've got some lego star wars games of course ea has a partnership with disney so they've been really going nuts with the star wars license uh, or have they i guess not not so much they haven't made as many star wars games as you think they would uh insomniac made that spider-man game so they have a, a relationship with sony in that regard because sony published it of course they have a relationship with square enix already from kingdom hearts which is a long-lasting relationship and that kind of led paved the way for them to get crystal dynamics uh in the door to make this avengers game that's about to come out and they just kind of i don't know the mar the the disney ip have kind of been all over the place but really outside of like star wars and marvel disney is not getting any love you know you got the re-release of like the Disney Afternoon Collection and the Aladdin slash Lion King remake last year, but those aren't those aren't new games. Those are re-releases of old games. There isn't really any like without Disney making their own games in house and publishing in house, we've really seen that that kind of um, tie in movie game or the 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 games for Disney and Pixar movies just kind of completely disappear, which is really quite a shame. But it doesn't seem like that's about to change because this is Disney basically doubling down and kind of having a cry or a call for quality by by saying, hey, you guys, you know, we recognize the games industry has changed in over the past 10 plus years and that we don't really have that kind of middleware anymore. We don't really have those cheap movie tie-in games you know spider-man games aren't really those tie-in games that are kind of shitty and like they're like five out of tens but they're kind of fun but they're not really good and they're forgettable like a spider-man game today is like insomniac spider-man it is a it is a spider-man game that is not associated with a movie it is an interpretation of that character in that universe that is supposed to take advantage of the benefits of gaming and just really be set in its own unique world and it's fantastic and it really is the way to handle that um but it's also sad because we don't we, we we see fewer games from Disney from Disney IP and we see more of an emphasis on on just the super high quality AAA big budget Star Wars Marvel things because I, I I guess from my perspective it's like if you look at the games industry if you look at quote unquote gamers it's a lot of like you know people that grew up with Star Wars and Marvel and things like that it's nerds and who who are excited to work on things like that but maybe less so people who are excited to work on something like. I don't know, like a fucking video game <laughs> dedicated to the Incredibles or like a Winnie the Pooh game or something stupid like that. And what I guess what kind of makes me sad is there's a lot, there's, yeah, there's a lot of like shitty shovelware that we're not going to get anymore as a result of this. But by Disney really doubling down and just saying like, hey, let's just have Disney games. If you want to come to us and make a Disney game, it means there's a lot of like other games we're never going to get again. Like, I don't know if you remember this, but like Toy Story 2 had one of the best platformer games on the PlayStation 1 period. It was a fantastic game. It was made by Traveler's Tale. And it, it's one of those games. It's like this would have never existed if it weren't for the fact that Disney had a publishing arm and wanted a movie tying game for Toy Story 2. You know, no developer was going to be like so moved by Toy Story 1 that they were going to go to Disney and be like, hey, we really feel passionately about making a Toy Story game. Can we have the license? You know, that that was never going to happen. And now that Disney's in this position where they don't want to do anything themselves, they just want people to come to them. We're never gonna get games like that. We're never gonna we're gonna, we're never gonna get those like beautiful coincidences of games like Toy Story Two. We're only gonna get 
like perfectly calculated, very specific like Star Wars AAA games because, and I don't mean to shit on anyone, like I love Respawn Entertainment, but like of, of course you're going to get Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order because gamers are fucking nerds and there's some weird like like requirement that if you're into pop culture, you have to be obsessed with Star Wars. So of course the guys behind Call of Duty 4 and and Titanfall are going to be like, well, yeah, we grew up with Star Wars, so it would be such an honor to work on Star Wars. It's like, I mean, awesome for them. I'm so glad that they got to do that. And I thought Jedi Fallen Order was a fantastic game, but it's kind of a cliche to me. It's like, no shit. Like, of course you want to work on Star Wars. Who doesn't? Who doesn't want to work on Spider-Man or Avengers? It's just, it's kind of like, I don't mean to be so like down on it, but it's like, it's just so, it's so sad to think that now that people, the only way we're going to get Disney related video games is if studios and publishers go to Disney and say, hey, we're interested in making a game in this universe. Here's our idea. Here's our proposal. Because, I mean, on the bright side, it's like, yeah, you're going to get fewer games, but they're going to be of higher quality and they're going to be very intentional and careful and important and notable like Jedi Fallen Order and Spider-Man 2018. But on the downside, it's like, if you're like me and you just enjoyed that kind of shovelware, like Cars 2 video game, you're never going to get shit like that again. Because, mark my word, no one... No one over at Insomniac, no one over at Naughty Dog, no one over at The Initiative or any of these studios is going to go over to Disney and be like, all right, guys, we have an idea for the Finding Dory video game, and this is it. Like, no one gives a shit about that. So, and to me, it's just a little bit of a letdown, and I don't mean to rant too long, but this is something I care about, and I was really hoping, you know, a few years ago when Disney pulled out of publishing and in-house development that they were going to kind of recollect for a few years and figure out what they wanted to do and then come back to this. But what this what this tells me is that they're really doubling down on just the opposite. They're really saying, hey, you know, Battlefront 2, despite how much people want to hate on it, is selling like crazy. Jedi Fallen Order, Spider-Man, these games are selling so well. They're getting great commercial success and great critical success. And we love that. So just give us shit tons of money to use our IP and just make these very high quality games and nothing else. And while it's awesome because, you know, I've enjoyed all three of those games I just mentioned, it also sucks because... Now we're going to get only that, and there's not going to be that kind of middle... I, I don't know. This just plays into my other issue that I just miss that kind of like double A tier, that kind of middle shovelware tier. I miss when there was more than just like the super art house indie game and then like the triple A game of the year, you know, awesome God of War game. I miss when there was also just the... Like I told you like a month or so ago, you know, I played I played uh, Super Lucky's Tale, which is a game a lot of people wrote off and never gave a shit about. But I enjoyed it so much because it was so much a middle tier game. It was like it was like six hours. It was a platformer. It was by no means Mario standard, but it wasn't like a small little indie art house game. It was just this run of the mill, super fun, super inoffensive platformer game, 3D platformer game. And it didn't have to set the world on fire. It didn't have to reinvent the wheel. And it didn't have to like make some crazy statement about mental health. It was just fun because it just wanted to make, they just wanted to make a 3D platformer and it was great. And I miss games like that. I miss just having that variety. You know, I feel like somehow in this world of like having more games than ever before with self-publishing and with indie games and, and all this shit, I feel like we somehow reduce the amount of variety because it's like, I don't know, to me, it's like there isn't a, di a diversity in gaming. It's like, sure, there's like more games coming out than ever before, but it's like 400 open world AAA games and 8 billion Metroidvania games is not diversity in gaming. That's not, that's not a, a slew of options to choose from. That's just an overwhelming, like, repetition of the same thing i'd rather just see like seven metroidvanias and three open world AAA games and then a handful of some other games that aren't just those one or the other you know but now i'm just ranting
Justin, and uh, I appreciate you listening to me being sad about how much I loved PS2 gaming 15, 20 years ago. Um, Our next story, as we kind of wrap up with our final stories of the week, even though it's kind of a slow news week, of course, I found a way to push it out. We've got Saber Interactive. This is a quick one. Saber Interactive, the team uh, behind uh, World War Z, um, historically, of course, known as more of a support team working on ports and updates. Recently, they've worked on a lot of Switch ports like um, like Witcher 3. They've actually worked on Master Chief Collection, the Halo Anniversary Edition. Um, but they've been acquired by Embracer Group, which is a video game publisher formerly known under the name THQ Nordic AB, but recently renamed to avoid confusion with the parent company, THQ Nordic GmbH, which just goes by THQ Nordic. So that's a whole confusing mess. But essentially, they're under a sub-company within THQ Nordic now. Um, They were acquired for $150 million and now Saber Interactive will operate under the Embracer Group parent company while keeping all six offices and over 600 employees together and functioning virtually the same as before. Uh, Saber Interactive really caught the attention of the industry when they released last year's World War Z, a horde-based third-person zombie shooter in the vein of Left 4 Dead, but using the IP and uh, uh, of the novel and movie of the same name. So this is kind of really just one more of those it's one more of those THQ Nordic gets even bigger kind of stories where it's like no one knows where this fucking trust fund money is coming from. No one knows where this weird investment money is coming from that they're just buying up everything. They're like Tencent, but kind of less scary, more laughable. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they bought another studio. Uh, but Saber Interactive, actually kind of a good get. I actually have a lot of respect for these guys. They've done a lot of great port work in, for a variety of different types of games, which shows that they kind of know what they're doing when they're working with these different games. And they get a lot of technical, technically impressive games to work on Switch, which is nothing to sneeze at because that's not really easy hardware to get games like Witcher 3 on. But yeah, I mean, World War Z, as you may know, I, I spoke very highly of it when I played it a few months ago for the first time. Pretty great game, and if they can continue to put out games of that quality, I think that'll be a pretty great get for uh, THQ Nordic. And actually, it seems like, especially with, with games like World War Z, it seems like they kind of fit perfectly in that umbrella of THQ Nordic. This actually kind of ties into my Disney story from a minute ago, because if anything, THQ Nordic is the is the publisher that's kind of bringing back the the double-A game, the, the mid-tier game, if anything, you know, bringing back like games like uh, Destroy All Humans and, and these Darksiders games that are a lot of fun, but, you know, people don't talk too much about them. And they just make a bunch of games that sell respectably and that don't break, you know, break barriers and reinvent the wheel. But they're a lot of fun and they're, they're uh, I don't know, they're pretty good. And I think Saber Interactive is a good get for them. I think World War Z is a game that kind of falls in that umbrella uh, pretty well. And I'm, I'm happy for Saber Interactive. Hopefully this offers them some more stability and allows them to make more of their own games and have to rely less so on porting games and, and being that. Um, so good for them. And we'll see kind of where this goes. Hopefully they'll have a, either a follow-up to World War Z or a new original game coming soon. Um, I'm excited. Like Saber Interactive is now a studio that's kind of on the map for me. I'm I'm excited to follow up with them and see whatever they make next. And then our our wrap up story this week is here. Here I am to tr- Tim Treadless. I'm I'm answering your question. Despite many data mine leaks and rumors suggesting that an imminent release uh, for Battle Royale mode for 2019's Modern Warfare was on the way, both Activision and Infinity Ward have remained whisper quiet on the matter. However, a new report from VGC indicates that the reveal and launch could be as soon as March. From TrueAchievements.com, the source that gave the sources gave earlier March as the likely release period, with VGC themselves believing March 10th 
to be the probable date, given that Infinity Ward tends to release updates on Tuesdays. When the cinematic teaser released last week, players noticed a new option under the game types, which had been uh, grayed out and labeled classified. The same source says that the Battle Royale mode Warzone will unlock through this menu, and that the Battle Royale mode will also be available as a free standalone game, with players having the option to pay to upgrade to the full version of the game. Uh, VGC says Activision hopes that Warzone will put more players into the game by virtue of being more accessible place to start. Given the increased popularity of Battle Royales, it's a fair idea to think that um, some players might prefer to be drawn to COD this way as opposed to the traditional $60 multiplayer campaign route. Uh, while this Battle Royale mode may not release until early March, VGC's sources say marketing plans will start this week, so it shouldn't be long before we get information on Warzone. At this point, this is like the worst kept secret in recent history in gaming. Uh, they need to just come out and announce this thing already because it's obviously real. And it's just kind of annoying to see them blatantly ignore it as the internet continues to talk about it and pull all this information that just keeps affirming that this is absolutely a real thing. Uh, but hopefully they, I, I assume this is because they have some elaborate marketing plan and they really don't want anything to get in the way of it, despite the fact that it already has. But yeah, I mean, there's not much more to say about this. We keep talking about it. We've seen leaks of the map. We see all this data in the back end from nerds who, who, who find that kind of information just reaffirming that this is a real thing it's not really a matter of if this thing is real it's a matter of when we're going to see it march sounds like a good time but you know i also said january and february were a good time and we didn't get those releases either um at this point it's like you got to get it out there because now you're in this weird position of this mode can make the black ops 4 multiplayer or um battle royale mode kind of antiquated but at the same time if you release this too late it can kind of get in the way of the next call of duty which is coming out later this year so it's just like what are you doing does activision not I, I, the only thing i can think is at this point activision doesn't see the inclusion or the update of a battle royale mode as kind of competitive to the traditional Call of Duty $60 package of multiplayer and campaign, and that's why they have no point, no problem kind of just releasing it at their own leisure, um, but I think it's time to just stop being so quiet, come out, release a trailer, give us a date, and show us what this thing's all about, because clearly it's real, and at this point it's just kind of frustrating having to uh, continuously talk about this story because we're running out of things to say. But yeah, nonetheless, I, I totally think this is real. Tim Treadless, fear not. We will play another Battle Royale Call of Duty soon enough, my friend. And that's going to do it for our big news stories. Let's just wrap up with some what I call the not really news segment. These are just some little tidbits. Game Pass subscribers, you can look forward to some new releases hitting uh, the service in the next week or so, including Ninja Gaiden 2, Kingdom Hearts 3, Yakuza 0, and then later in the week, players will also be getting uh, Two Point Hospital, Wasteland Remastered, and Jack Jackbox Party Pack 3. In addition to that, Game Pass subscribers, you can also look forward to some games leaving Game Pass in the following weeks, including Fallout 3 and Oblivion, Good riddance, you fucking losers. Goddamn Bethesda. I read that it's cool to hate on you guys now, even though we all loved you a few years ago. Our next little tidbit story we got coming from Windows Central. In a move that may surprise absolutely no one, 343 is taking esports in Halo Infinite very seriously, going as far as to partner with Esports Engine as the management team for organizing esports-related content for their upcoming Halo game. Esports Engine is made up of veterans of the scene who worked in esports for over 20 years. I didn't know esports was around that long. I guess they're talking about some Unreal Tournament kind of bullshit. Uh, but this partnership will hopefully ensure that Halo Infinite will be one of the most robust esports out there when it re releases later this year. Thank God, cannot come soon enough. And then our final one for the week. During the 6th Invitational 2020, Rainbow Six 
producer, Rainbow Six product manager, Roy Del, whatever French name that is, confirmed that Rainbow Six Siege will indeed be coming to the Xbox Series X and PS5, meaning that the game will essentially persist alongside the upcoming Rainbow Six Quarantine, uh, which is a weird thing to do, but hope, I guess they see perhaps War- Rainbow Six Quarantine is going to be enough of a standalone or a departure from what Siege is that it'll be able to kind of exist on its own, but it is, it, I mean, I, I don't blame them. You don't want to split up that community just because new hardware comes out, so it makes total sense to bring it over to Xbox Series X, so look forward to that if you're a Rainbow Six Siege player. Now that we are completely done with the news, let's just gloss over the 10 new games releasing this week on Xbox. If you're just itching to play something new, boy, do I have some good news for you, because among these 10 new games, we've got DLC The Game. Yep, it's just downloadable content, The Game. The next game we've got here is Bayonetta and Vanquish 10th Anniversary Bundle. These are some great games from Platinum Games. If you haven't played them, you absolutely should. They're Xbox One X Enhanced. Both of these games, or at least Vanquish at some point, has been on Games of Gold, so you might already have it, but if you haven't played it, this is a great way to get in as well. If you love that 4K graphics, if you love that 60 FPS, those those two things should actually serve both these games pretty well because they're so action-based. Um, but then next, we got Bunny Parking, which is coming out February 19th, which is a game where I guess you... Uh, I literally no clue what I'm looking at. It's like some Grand Theft Auto ripoff. But our next game is called Lost Artifacts. It is a game where you play as Laura Croft and try to find some lost artifacts. The next game is called Thief Simulator. It is a game where you simulate being a thief, simulating being a thief. So it is a meta game. You do not play as a thief. You play as a person playing as a thief. And it takes place in the back of a car because you play as a homeless uh, gamer guy who doesn't play as rent. Because for some reason he's got a big monitor and a gaming headset sticking out the back of his station wagon. This is just the picture. This is what I see. Our next game is called Nighting Plus, which is a game that looks like an indie game. So if you're really into awesome games, if you're a 90s kid, if you're an 80s kid, if you grew up on the NES like everyone claims to have, then you'll totally love this game. It's a really good one. The next game is called Reigns Game of Thrones, which means if you played the game, this is the Game of Thrones game, which means you can get naked in it. You can get naked and... um, drink Starbucks and it'll I'll be really cool. And then our next game's called Dragon Dr- Drogon Dragon. It's a another medieval fantasy game where you get to explore a, a vast open world. Our next game is called Ailment where it makes you sick because the game's so generic. And then our next game is called Uncharted Tides Port Royal. It is a mix between Uncharted and Sea of Thieves. It might as well just not even exist because no one's going to play it. And that is going to do it for our 10 new games. If you want something to play, go play that Bayonetta Vanquish remaster or play Bunny Parking because that's a stupid name. Uh, and then as a reminder, our games the gold for this month, as we near the end of February, you got TT Owl of Man for the rest of the month. You got Call of Cthulhu, which runs through March 15th, so you got some time on that. You got Fable Heroes, which which if you haven't gotten it by now, you're fucking out of luck. It's gone. And then you got the OG Star Wars Battlefront through the rest of this month. So definitely download that. With that, I'm going to thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, if there's one thing I can ask you to do, you know, above rating the star the show five stars, above leaving nice comments, feedback, questions, concerns, above being nice to other people in the audience, above you know, going out there and just being the best version of yourself you can be and going out there and just being kind to your neighbor and trying to be a positive um, impact on society, I'm going to request, if you could just do one thing for me above all else, go find your local TGI Fridays and support them. They're at risk for going out of business and they need all the help they can get and only you have the power to turn the tides around. 
And, you know, a lot of people feel despondent these days. They feel like their vote doesn't matter. They feel like their voice doesn't matter. They feel like no matter what they do in life, their contribution to this earth doesn't matter. Do not ever let someone tell you your voice doesn't matter because we all have the power to save our local TGI Fridays. So get out there and go eat some goddamn TGI Fridays. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Thank mm-hmm. you.